Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And uh, we're on to uh, chapter 13 of our book, What About Evil? A Defense of God's Sovereign Glory by Scott Christensen. And uh, if you remember from chapter 12, before our little break, before our uh, nice little interview that we appreciated, uh, we kind of laid out his A Greater Glory uh, theodicy. Mm-hmm. So that that's, he, he knocked down all the pins. Uh, he, he uprooted the, the nomenclature. He... he uh, took out the the big wigs who <laughs> had it all figured out that a lot of people agreed with, even those atheists who couldn't help but to, to bow at the prowess of, of the free will theodicy. But now we have uh, his theory laid out, and the question is, is it scriptural? Right. So that's what we're right. covering uh, yeah. this time, and so... Uh, he lays out, uh, I, I almost thought he was going to do uh, what uh, kind of John Piper did in uh, his, uh, uh, his book where he went through uh, every um, piece of providence in his book, Providence, of, of Scripture, starting with Old Testament and New Testament. Well, uh, Scott Christen uh, allows us to see it uh, in Genesis, Exodus, uh, he hits uh, the Gospel of John, mm-hmm. and also the dreaded to all provisionists. Romans 9. (laughs) (laughs) So those are the kind of four we'll be covering. We'll probably split this into two episodes or so. We'll we'll see how far uh, we get into here. Um, So chapter 13 is uh, God's redemptive glory in Scripture. So we're we're looking at, does his theodicy hold up in Scripture, which is his entire point for having this type of theodicy? Is it scripturally based rather than only... uh, uh, philosophically yeah. um, uh, allowed in our preconception of what we want to be, which right. is what seems to be the, the free will theodicies uh, kind of uh, took into account. And so he starts out by saying that uh, what uh, peaks of our wonder, our longing, our attention to beauty and nature, art, poetry, or music is the presence of dissonance, yeah. the juxtaposition of discordant features that contrast the unexpected with the expected, the mundane with the exceptional <laughs> dissonance is the uh, contemplative of uh, beauty points to the longing for transcendence. The magnification of God's glory in redemption is demonstrated by a penalty of contrast and dichotomies in this and following chapters. He says he'll consider the juxtaposition of many such contrasts and unusual features of Christ and his work of redemption, which serves to cast a brighter light on the glory of God in uh, Timberus, a face of evil. And we see this, uh, uh, kind of juxtaposition in scripture. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm, it's the Jesus answer. We see it in the ministry of Jesus. Mm. Here's what is expected. Here's what happens. Right. And it's it's a it's a it's a a, a boxer shot to the face. You, you were expecting the right. Boom! You got the left <laughs> jab. Yeah. And 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 so uh, we we see that in in Christ's ministry. Yeah. And he says that this brings out God's glory. This juxtaposition here. This you know this dichotomy between what's expected, what happens, and and so is what it's going to do is help him to. Uh, uh, explain the problem of evil because God's glory now is manifested greater, right, and more clearer when it's uh, up against what evil looks like, mm-hmm. right? His His glory, His goodness, His mercy, and that sort of thing, right. right? Right, and so we see it in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we see it, the New Testament harking back to the Old Testament. We see the Old Testament, 
uh, showing the fortuitous signs of, of coming attractions, too. And so, you know, oh, here's the firstborn. We know he's going to be the chosen one. Boom. Oh, it's the thirdborn. Oh, it's, 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 the, it's the scoundrel who's grabbing at the feet of the, the young child that, that uh, uh, turns out to be the chosen one. And so uh, here's a small Israel and uh, um, being brought out of the giant nation of, of Egypt. And so we see this all throughout Scripture. And so that's what the... The, the weirdness of God, it's, mm. it's there mm. to grab our attention. We, we, we have certain ideas in place of, of what we think should be the case and, and what um, must be, um, you know, the, the, oh, God must create the spheres of the heaven, so everything must be in perfect circles. That's right. Well, and, until he loops it <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a wanderer star in there, and we have to figure out what the, what the universe of, of yeah. God is actually like. Mercury, Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the first thing he does here is takes us through uh, several couple stories anyway in the book of Genesis, right? And the, and obviously he starts with the fall because After. where else do you start, right? <laughs> so, the you know, this first section here, um, the fall and the first family, redemptive glory in the Old Testament. He says the intermediate aftermath, the immediate aftermath, rather, of the fall of Adam and Eve, they're expelled from uh, the paradise of the garden and removed from the intimate fellowship that they enjoy with, with God. And so he says, we expect then that this banishment to be the end of the tragic disobedience. They messed up. They're out. Right? Yeah. But he Why says, doesn't it end at chapter yeah. three? Why do I have to keep reading? Yeah. But he says, in the midst of God's judgment, we see his mercy emerge. And so this is kind of the, the first juxtaposition that he wants us to see in this particular uh, chapter. Right? So what's going on here? Well, God intervenes instead of the end of the story and they're banished they're you know, and that they get their just desserts, they're punished and that sort of thing. No, God intervenes and supplies them with the adequate uh, skins requiring the sacrifice of an innocent animal that obviously bespeaks, uh, bespeaks about atonement and rec- reconciliation with God. And so what we see then in this particular, you know, tension here is their ruin is met with their repair, is what he tells us, yeah. right? Their, God repairs their ruin, which is somewhat unexpected because we would expect, hey, they blew it, they're out, right? And yet God doesn't let it in like that, right? And the, the story of Genesis 1 through 3 uh, kind of it, okay. It kind of makes sense uh, with Genesis one and two. You have you have your creation story. How did all things start? So the once upon a time, we we kind of would expect that, but it it there's no there's no here's here's uh here's what the feeling was like in the garden. There's not a, a further play on on what what that kind of perfected state is. It launches right into chapter three, the fall. Yeah, and so this seems like an important point that. That is, it's, it's, it's being brought up <clears throat> quickly. It's not, it's not being brushed over. It's a, it's a central um, part of, of chapter three yeah. with only two chapters. And yeah, we understand we have, exactly what the, the, the Bible isn't written in these <laughs> good, chapters. Good, 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 boom. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's not a, a belabor point. All is good, yeah. <laughs> and so it seems like it, at the very least, the, 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 the writer, you know, Moses or, or, or even Adam, uh, if you t- take the theory of, of who's being, uh, uh, who's the original writers here and who's editing, um, is is wanting to kind of get this out front. He's 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 pointing to it. He's he's not uh, saying, oh, and then uh, 
blushingly, here's something bad that happened. This seems like a central key thing that then informs four and five and six and 22 and 50 (laughs) all the way up to, uh, you know, uh, 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 Deuteronomy (laughs) or today. (laughs) Absolutely. But he he at least had five. So, so this isn't, um, this isn't something that, um, that, um, is almost taken off guard here because it's not, it's not slipped in. It's, it's immediately covered. It's not hidden, right? It's right in the open. It's comes right at the very beginning there. Right. Okay. So we have the fall. Well, what's next? The flood. Yeah. Okay. We, we just got started and then we get restarted and here's our, our restart. So it's not long before the unfortunate misdirection of Cain, of the, uh, Cain and Abel there, uh, that spreads across the, the broad and broken landscape of the entire earth. And again, the, there's, there's not much there as far as what's happening for this long a period where it says, I mean, compare us to us now, there's no flood happening here or there's no fire yet on us, but the, the people were, were so bad that God was kind of forced to wipe them out off mm. the face of the earth, except yeah. for this, this one family. Mm. What were we doing? What I, I need to know the technology. I, no, no, the story isn't uh, how, how bad people are. It's stated. God looked at the, at man and said, they're bad. And so here's what I'm going to do to, uh, to, 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 remove that for this this time being in in a certain way that that uh the the flood there is is the message of this story of this Mm -hmm. portion of the story Mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot of buildup it's a central focus and it's centrally focused on uh god and his direction to noah noah does the bidding of god but ultimately it's focused squarely on on god's response to the 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 accumulation of uh of sin among man and so the, uh, it says in uh, Genesis 6, 5, the Lord, Yahweh, saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually, which is different than today, slightly at least. <laughs> the enormity of God's fearsome judgment reaches catastrophic proportions, literally. Mm. This exposes how a befouling evil truly is in the face of a holy God. We can blithely dismiss how much wrongdoing appears to slip away unnoticed in this world with no hint of divine displeasure. Oh, why is my neighbor uh, uh, killing all these people and no one's around the, the, to, to, to stop him? Yeah. Well, God stops him with a big wall of water. Right. <clears throat> the ubiquitous mercy of God is so frequently taken for granted or missed altogether that when such mercy is removed to reveal the severity of divine judgment that sin rightfully deserves, then our numbness to evil gives way to taking umbrage at that judge. Yeah, so the, so the idea here is that, you know, uh, we get so used to people not being judged for what happens that when it finally does happen, it's so shocking that we begin to blame the judge, right? right? right. And yet, no, it's the evilness that needs to be dealt with that God, you know, patiently and long-suffering you know, allows, and then pretty soon, as we see here in the flood, boom, he takes the, and now we say, you know, why would Mm -hmm. God do such a terrible thing? Well, (laughs) well, look at what was happening, right? right? And and, and we see this from detraction. Uh, We we see this, uh, oh, if there's such a, a loving God, how can he let this evil go on? But then when he says, okay, I'm sending, uh, the, 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 my people, to, to do the will of judging, to go out and slaughter the Canaanites. 
Well, how could he commit such yeah, atrocities? Yeah, how could a loving God? Yeah, so oh, which so one you do can't you want? Yeah, you can't which have it both ways. It's right? either it's either mercy or judgment, <laughs> and 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 withholding judgment is the mercy. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it, you know, it, unless if, if if you want to, uh, you know, every time that you lie, you wink out of existence. Well. There's not going to be too many of us left after a certain point of time. (laughs) And so, yeah, and so that's the issue that he brings here. How could God wipe out the entire creation? Well, he says the plain reading of Genesis 6 or 8 thus seems to paint God who was, you know, uh, whose sense of righteous indignation is kind of gravely uh, uh, disproportionate to the infractions of his creatures, right? Mm -hmm. But he says this is a misreading of the text, and it misses the real impact of God's purpose here. It's it's uh, it is only against the um, ominous backdrop of apocalyptic destruction that God's undeserved favor toward Noah stands out, right? right? Because remember. There's nothing special about Noah until God says, okay, I want you to do this. He's right there with the rest of them, mm-hmm. right? And so no one is free from culpability of evil, much less Noah. And he, you know, he brings out the point what happens later as the sword incident of his drunken right. nakedness after the flood makes clear he was just, you know. Right. He's not this perfect person <laughs> or he wasn't perfect until a point in time where, I mean, after you see the destruction of the entire world, you might you might want to take a drink every yeah. once in a while. Uh, so it's, it's a little understandable there. But he tells us that grace is not grace unless it is freely poured out on those who should justly perish. And so he gives grace to Noah, even though he was part of the deal, right? Noah was among the world's transgressors, and God was under no obligation to spare him. It's right. his mercy and grace that does that. And it and this and so this juxtaposition between this tragedy of judgment and yet this shining picture of grace and mercy shows God's glory. That's right. what he's trying to get yeah. at here. Yeah, right. we, we should be awestruck by the, the waters, the floods, the destruction, the 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 terribleness of, of that, the washing away. We should equally be concerned about the guy in the boat. Why is he in the boat? What? How? How? How could he escape such wrath? Uh, right, uh, because God is the one who gives grace, and He's giving grace to this select family that He's pulling out for His purposes. Yeah, and to keep His promises to Eve, quite frankly. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. There, there's no wiping out of Adam and Eve at the at the beginning, and then all right, we're starting all over. Yeah. Uh, uh, dirt was a bad uh, uh, medium here. Let's try clouds. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna throw clouds in here and make silicone. Ma- make the, yeah, n- n- new man from from silicone. There you go. Some good Star Trek episodes. <laughs> All right, well, moving on to Abram, or Abraham, as he will become known to us, is in this uh, U-shaped, uh, this uh, monomythic themes that come next in the patriarchal narratives of Genesis. He stands out. He's he's brought out, and there's uh, uh, very special stories that are told about him. In fact, uh, the stories told about Abraham seem to go on longer than the initial sin or the initial flood or, mm. or any of these stories. Yeah, He's we really find a whole the... lot more about Abraham's life, his personal life, his family, what he goes through than yeah. we do about Adam. Right, right, right. right. yeah, yeah our, our main character at the time. <laughs> the sacrifice of Isaac is particularly arresting for an array of unexpected turns. At this point in the story, doubting readers are filled with horror at the malevolent father and his malevolent God, mm. child abusers of the first order. <laughs> but again, we must not miss how God has proposed to magnify his glory and boldly rectifying the crisis that stands before Abraham. For the believer, every crisis that God throws our way is not unlike the test 
he cast on the patriarch. Abraham proved to be unwavering in his trust, and so must we. Uh, but it, it's not one of unquestioning. Uh, there, there, there's an internal monologue that that Adam ha- or that uh, Abraham has of, well, okay, God, God's a God who does not lie, and He promised certain uh, repercussions that come out of Isaac. So He's asking me to do this thing that would cut those out. So what happens? Well, there must be certain things that would happen after this that God would raise him from the dead, or or he, you know He'll stop me, or uh, I'll attempt to sacrifice and there'll be a, a second version of him or, or, or so, something along those lines that, that, that he, he's coming in, in this, 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 uh, um, kind of not double mindedness, but, but a, uh, Oh, it, 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 there needs to be more to the story. And I'm somehow, just not yeah. given, given those facts. Exactly. Yet. Somehow so, God's going to make this work. Kind of thing, but he's right? not unfeeling. He's not, right. he's not, uh, a, a, a blind robot in the, in the situation. He's, he's, he's hesitant. He's, He's, you know, it leaves the manservants uh, at the bottom of the mountain. Let's go up and let's let's take it. And he doesn't tell, you know, Isaac. He, I mean, well, he puts God's going to provide on his own sacrifice. Yeah. And, Isaac. And, and and let's look at Isaac too. <laughs> yeah. Isaac willingly gets on the altar. He yeah. willingly lets himself be tied up. He's not knocked out. Right. You know, yeah. he, he's he's there. He's <laughs> yeah. he's waiting for yeah, for whatever is happening. Yeah. So yeah. so yeah, there's there's there's. Two, uh, two actors in this in the story for, for mankind to, to look at. <laughs> and so Christensen tells us that without this deeply personal crisis, Abraham's faith uh, would never be given an opportunity to shine, much less God's mercy. In the absence of such severe trials, not only is faith domesticated, right, but the glory of God's rescue and provision is muted. Right? So we kind of need this kind of, again, just juxtaposition between this terrible situation and then God kind of um, comes to the rescue kind of thing. Right? He says, what makes the divine glory pour forth in this narrative is that uh, the New Testament believers can look back on the plight of those two and yeah. come to realize that the, uh, the greater um, father did not spare, that is God, mm-hmm. did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, right? So God, uh, he did what he asked Abraham to do, right? Only he carried through with yeah. it. Right? Yeah, I, I, I really like the, this point that Christian makes here is is that the story is being written at this time uh, and, and for this people for a particular reason. But God is also knowing that uh, what what will happen when, when Christ uh, comes into the world in the incarnation, there's going to be a looking back. There's going to be a Berean all right, uh, is this something brand new of, of God? And God's going to, you know, Paul and, and the apostles are going to point back to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. That's why we can't divorce the Old Testament from the New Testament and say, no, th- this is a, 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 a sign that's been done previously. And we look to the, the, the people like the Davidic king or the second Adam or you know, the first Adam for the second Adam or here, the sacrifice on the altar or the, mm-hmm. the unmitigated one. And here God removes that uh, to continue his promise. But here he lets his own son, the, the perfect man, the, the only person who ever, ever lived a perfect light who performs grand miracles, who seems blessed, who the dove lands on this, my beloved son, whom I well pleased. And he doesn't spare him from what? Not his own wrath or not, not from the wrath of his own sin, but for, uh, the wrath of God is mediated to him for the sins of his people from back then to now to future. And yeah. so this, this is a, a, uh, wherever you're at in the in the story, it's Abraham looking forward to 
the, 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 the blessed one, the anointed one, the, uh, the Emmanuel, God with us. It's to look back on the people to say, here's a, a, a type of, of Christ work in the Old Testament that God is, is we shouldn't be surprised on, even though we're we vastly surprised. surprised because, <laughs> because there his, he spared. His, his apostles, his disciples were certainly surprised. Right. Right? <laughs> and so we apply it to our own lives now. Not that we're we're reading it for future reference for scripture, but in in the the uh, written eras of church history, just in our own books, in our own lives, and in, in in what our our hearts are supposed to be for uh, the glory of God. Um, that's what other people can look to. It's what we can look back to at at certain other points in our lives and say, "Oh, I understand why I went through this now because if it wasn't for this, here's where I would not be." Yeah. And so, so the, the, this is the the grand story of Scripture, and so it's it's really neat about how this isn't this this story might be hard for Abraham, but it's so beneficial for the people in first and second century um, Jerusalem to to read back to and say, oh, this was like Christ. This is what was, yeah, yeah. And so Christensen tells us that in the former case, Abraham's case, divine mercy is extended to both father and son. Obviously, God stops him from doing it. Right. In the latter case, that is, in Christ's case, the searing hot knife of judgment, he says, slices through the innocent body of the willing son in order that the father may extend mercy to many sons, that is, destining them for glory, Hebrews 2.10 says, right? So God allows it to happen with Christ, even though he stops it with Abraham, so that many sons can come to glory. Right, yeah. Well, that's, that's the adoption process. Yeah. All right. How about the book of Exodus? Oh, all right. The book of Exodus. Redemptive paradigm of the Exodus. The second book of the Bible is perhaps the greatest uh, um, paradigmatic foreshadowing of scripture's broad U-shape, but really in J-shape is what he's, if if you ever read U-shape in here, he always has a bracket, really J-shape storyline. There's going to be even greater glory from from the, the initial setting. The unfolding plot of the Exodus is the quintessential of redemption in the Old Testament. It's mentioned throughout the Old Testament. It's a reminder of God to the the, the remnants each time that their 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 uh, the people become hard hard hearted and stiff necked, and there's an expulsion from the land, and then brought back in, and there's a remembrance of it's God preserving like He did in the Exodus, and even in the New Testament, there's references to the Exodus. So this is a very important story that we get from from the end of Malachi to into the New Testament to the early church fathers still referencing the Exodus as, mm-hmm. as a, yeah. as a typifying story of the of course, calls we, to mind. We still have the God. Passover that's, that's celebrated. Oh yeah. I mean, that, 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 I, I would say that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <clears throat> so God's glory is, uh, is um, magnified precisely in the juxtaposition of two utterly polarizing destinies. Egypt is poised to be the unsuspecting recipient of horrific and inexplicable and miraculous plagues to descend on her head while Israel is about to experience an exodus from her dreaded slaveholders while riding on the wings of equally unprecedented supernatural power. And so the exact same thing happens as we saw with Noah, right? Uh, You know, Israel isn't this pristine, pure, you know, God-worshipping kind. I mean, you know, they're just as wicked as anybody else, right? But God has promises, and he's carrying out his His promises. And so we see, again, this juxtaposition between judgment being carried out and mercy being given, right? Judgment to Egypt, mercy to uh, to Israel, yeah. right? 
and the story of Joseph and, and preceding chapters in Genesis, uh, it, it it seems like a, a it, it's your it's your hero storyline, uh, sold by, uh, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, rises, falls, rises again to the utmost, saves his people out of there. Mm-hmm. It seems like I mean the, the, it's it's a good story. It's, yeah. it's 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 always fun to watch that story <laughs> unfold. Uh, it's, and that's clearly a J shape, right? Right. He starts, yeah, you know, this is the the the, the uh, dreamer, right? Yeah. And then he falls into this situation, and then you get this greater glory, right? Of, yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, the the, the, the Isaac and, and his family come, and there are like seventy people in, and they get uh, uh, given the the area of Goshen to become the 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 evil farmers, uh, animal herders there. Um, <laughs> But then Exodus starts, and the, the people are subjugated. The, the people that were brought in and blessed. And uh, uh, J- Joseph, why did you have to go through this? I went through this. Uh, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. The good was saving you all and f- flourishing the 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 the, the um, Egyptian countryside, so that you can be brought in as well. Mm-hmm. And then the story starts off in Exodus with slavery and and killing of children by midwives and oh you know the the the, the people are ballooning out because they're they're so uh, prosperous in 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 children or in, in wealth in this this uh, very uh, good land of goshen and uh, and here e- egypt is now enslaving them so again something you're not writing the story how we would expect to yeah, be writing it. Yeah, really. You know, how you, all of a sudden do you go from Joseph to yeah, slavery Yeah, you would think here? after Joseph and they lived happily ever <laughs> right. after, and, you know, and that's <laughs> right. the end of the story. And then we open up and, you know, they're in this tragic situation, right? Yeah. And so with regard to, uh, you know, to uh, the, the exodus here, he says that Israel's spectacular salvation would come at the expense of Egypt's equally spectacular judgment. Right. So salvation, judgment, right? And again, this, these uh, two... Uh, opposite ends of the spectrum here. God is emphatic, in fact, with regard to his judgment. He says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue the sons of Israel and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Right. And so human intentions, Christensen tells us, for evil are always evil. Whereas God's intention, this same, you know, thing that's happening are for the same evil, uh, uh, are always for good. God's intentions are always for good, even for the same evil that's happening. Right. Whereas humans' intentions are always for evil. Mm-hmm. And that's the point he's trying to help us to see. Here, right. right. You know, uh, why doesn't, uh, let my people go. God comes in, separates the, the, the one people from the other, out, out they go. Well, what what's happening? Why, why why isn't that the story? What's happening for this particular purpose of of using Pharaoh and using the the great nation of Egypt at the time to 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 show God's glory to to what wouldn't be possible in any other setting? He's going to use God's going to use to to show His judgment and His mercy to two different people. Mm. So the transcendent choreographer orchestrates every detail of the whole affair while simultaneously holding Pharaoh blameworthy for his willful act of rebellion. We should not deny God's power to bend and move the human heart, but neither should we imply that Pharaoh was coerced into doing something that he did not really want to do. God stiffened Pharaoh's resolve, but the will is to oppress Israel 
and resist God uh, was, was his own. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. Was, so yes, you know, God hardened his heart, but he didn't do anything that Pharaoh. This is Pharaoh's desire. Right. Pharaoh right. wanted to exactly. do this, and uh, and so uh, God just you know kind of allowed him to go his way. Right, and then the chapters say Pharaoh hardened his heart, and God hardened his heart. Well, which one is it? Well, yeah, for first uh, Pharaoh did it, and then God did it. Did it again? Like, <laughs> no, th- this is. Pharaoh's desire is to not let a free labor force go, and especially, I mean, that would look embarrassing to him after after all these years. He, he's got work projects to do. Uh, you know, <laughs> government right. work projects are very important these That's days. Right. That's right. And and and, and the field. <laughs> yeah. And so and and so God is 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 uh, also in this. And again, what we saw in in just what man intended for evil, God intended for good. It's this. Uh, uh, two tracks of man's desire and God using those desires or decreeing those desires right, as well. So the same type of thing that happened with Joseph. Right. There, and right. that's why God can judge Pharaoh and the Egyptians and also be the one that controls that situation. And we'll get more into that when we hit the, the, the dreaded Romans 9. <laughs> All right. So the uh, solemn observance of uh, Passover signals while uh, that while there is a deliverance from Israel's external enemies, the more important deliverance is that of being rescued from their own internal enemy, a sinful heart that also incurs the wrath of God. This is why the unleavenness of the bread, the, the you know, uh, remove all these things and, and, and purge your, your house of them, a symbolic representation of, of, of sin. And, and but you need to clean up, you know, your sinfulness needs to be dealt with as well. Right. Kind of thing, right? right. And uh, slaughtering an innocent lamb, uh, putting the, the blood on the, the doorpost, the entryway into the house, uh, the, the protection of the families that dwell within it. Um, all these things are very much so precursors that uh, we can look back on from the point of the cross back and say, oh, this is this is like this. This isn't something new, but this is this is still something that catches us off guard because of how that was a sacrifice of lamb, but this is the sacrifice of the lamb of God. <laughs> Pharaoh's stubborn heart incurs judgment. Israel's stubborn heart are met with mercy. All right, so again, we get this, this juxtaposition, right? right? And, and, judgment and mercy. Right. And, 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 and why is one favored over the other? Because God, yeah. because God chose Israel over the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. Egyptians were blessed. They, they, they grew in, into a mighty and powerful nation, uh, we, we're, we're still singing songs about their, their uh, great pyramid where we marvel at, at how they knew the, the, um, the, the, the voyagers of the stars and, and, and how they developed a, a thriving uh, uh, city and people group at the time with, with minimal. Uh, uh, well, they uh, were the world's yeah. most powerful nation. Yeah, right? I mean, they built at the pyramids the with yeah. things like rolling sticks and, <laughs> and bl- big giant blocks. I mean, pretty impressive. But here's little Israel that grows to a mass of people and, you know, and, and brought out and saved. Why? Not because of anything they did, but because of who God is. So like Noah, the Israelites are wondrously spared from the watery cataclysm, the Red Sea crossing here, about uh, that is about to cap God's outpouring of retribution on Egypt. Right. It's not just that the, 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 the uh, Hebrews go across to, on dry land so the their, their, their foot touches only sandy soil, no water whatsoever. And here's the mountains of water on the, the side, the, the whale uh, floating in there from, from the, the good uh, uh, um, uh, movie there. But then 
they come crashing down on Pharaoh's army, on the thing that has gained him all this this um, mastery over the land. It's, it crushes his army. He, so he, he uses the water as a way to provide a path, but then he uses the water as a mean of judgment. Mercy versus judgment, right. right? Same type of thing. And so Paul now uh, kind of makes a parallel between that and, uh, and um, Romans chapter 9. Mm-hmm. I think what we want to do is probably... Hold that yep. in abeyance here, and we'll kind of look at that next time. Right. right. So thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for uh, continuing uh, uh, reading this book. Uh, it's it's a uh, well laid out book. Uh, it's the 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 length that it is is needed for the subject it covers, and so um, I'm impressed with each chapter that we get to. And um, um, I enjoyed uh, doing this with Tony because I obviously learned a lot from uh, what he pulls out and. Um, hopefully uh, you get that as well as you're reading along with us or, or watching these episodes. So thank you very much for uh, continuing to um, to d- download our show and, and, and join our uh, our book study over your coffee in the morning on a, on a Saturday or, or wherever you might be listening to on your ride into the car where you're uh, hopefully not uh, uh, driving too erratically trying to look up uh, scripture passages. So thank you and we'll see you next time. See you next time.